0: Welcome to the Evolvepreneur podcast channel, which is sponsored by evolvepreneur.biz, a new online community-based platform designed to help develop your skills and knowledge to be massively successful in this new digital age. Your host today is John North, who is a three-time number one international best-selling author and strategic marketer. John's passion is to help business owners to master the online marketing world.
1: Welcome to Volpreneurs. Today I've got Lauren Cress as one of the few technically trained scientists and growth innovators of the Manalian generation, whose knowledge and investment-led growth is transforming decision-making in the business world. Welcome, Lauren, it's really excited to talk to you today.
0: Hey, John, how are you doing?
1: Good um so we just recently did a podcast so you got to know me now it's my turn to get to know you Um, (laughs) so um one of the things i noticed on your website was you had this thing that said the three steps that become a market leader so i'm going to ask you about those in a minute Uh but first i'm going to ask a little bit about your background because obviously you're in your bio you're one of the technically trained scientists who's doing marketing so and and i know that you you've come up with a concept called a business scientist so i want to tell me a little bit of how you got to where you got to there now and then where you think you're going to go to
0: yeah well like so i've been running my own business for just actually coming up to three years right now and um but i only came up with the term the business scientist in january time around that Mm.
2: um
0: and it kind of came from i started doing a little bit of media and i just realized that when i started talking about insights into business and when i started talking about the science behind business um journalists really like that they're kind of like because i'd leave this stats, so i'd say like well you know on average um three hours of productive work done in a day They're like oh that's really interesting mm-hmm. Where if i kind of said like oh how do you increase your productivity it's kind of doesn't really have an angle to it doesn't really have like a flavor to it so mm-hmm. i guess it was kind of a bit of like a branding thing really but um also i think um business is a science you know like what we're doing as, as business owners, as business leaders, is we're trying to do the best job we can as at gathering and interpreting information about the world around us, about the people around us. And the way we do that is through using the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't do that, we end up with a whole heap of problems when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to branding. Um, and so yeah as i started saying the business scientist it just kind of took off like everyone seemed to remember it so i was like i'm going to stick with that name
1: (laughs) (laughs) call it market research (laughs) (laughs) oh cool so so your um what to what are your qualifications because obviously you said you 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 know actually scientist so what, what is your actual qualification
0: yeah so i um started off doing an undergraduate degree in bachelor of science um i my major was actually in physiology but i started off in psychology and i did most of a psychology major as well right. and then um i got to i was really angsty at uni i didn't know what i wanted to do um and you know it was kind of like finish my degree and i was like oh, i'll do a research year because you know that seems like the obvious next step i'll, I'll do my honors and i actually thought right. i was going to do a phd as well right so I did my honours in neuroscience um, and I absolutely hated working in a lab. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> it was just like banging my head against a brick wall for a year. So I was like, okay, I can't... I, I couldn't do this for another, you know, four to seven years doing a PhD. Mm. Um, but I had really gotten into, I guess, um, the more creative side of science. So I really liked reading popular science books i really liked um reading magazines like new scientists and things like that and i got into blogging as well um and so i kind of started off thinking oh, maybe i can be a writer let's be a writer like that's that's really cool picturing you know like someone a typewriter with cigarette kind yeah, of yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: dying of cancer <laughs>
0: yeah not not great no (laughs) but that was my that that was my image and then um so I started working in um, communications and then I also did a master's in um it's actually called cross-disciplinary art and design which is a bit of a tongue twister but
1: (laughs) how do you ask for directions in that
0: class (laughs) (laughs) but it was like um I really wanted to explore things like how we think you know beyond what we learn in neuroscience which is more like I guess you call it like a, they call it like a bottom-up approach, right? So it's like you learn about the mechanisms and then uh, that, you know, of how the brain works and then what that results in. Um, But with creative, kind of coming from a creative approach, it's more like this is what we're seeing in the real world. These are the tools and the models that we can use um, to think more creatively. So I'm a big fan of like Edward De Bono and Austin Cleon, And that kind of helped me tie it all together. So kind of, which is great for, you know, marketing, it's great for um, business development to have that understanding of those kind of, I guess, two modalities really of thinking.
1: So I want to ask you a tricky question and this is interesting because you've gone into entrepreneurship in three,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And most people go and do something, do a job they hate for 10 years Mm -hmm. and then decide to start a business on their own and do all that sort of stuff and go search. so you're basically you know fast tracking this which is interesting for millennials because one of the things that um i read somewhere that said look if you upset in a millennial uh, in, in your business they will start a whole competing business against you tomorrow and be better at that you are right? <laughs> and, and and i think it comes down to the concept of no fear right because i've got to tell you like i work for a bank for 12 years nearly and in the end, I was so busy. I was going in at lunchtime. I had this $3,000 mobile phone that I bought, right? Imagine this, $3,000 mobile phone, sitting in the park doing business for an hour, trying to get through this in fear, don't quit my job because this might not work out. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. In the
1: end, I got so much work. I thought, and the, bank, and the bank was really annoying hell out of me, so I just quit, right? But that transition is pretty scary, right? And so for someone just to just leap in, essentially, you know, and, and do that from, from the get-go... It's interesting because normally they go, just go get a job, right? So I want to unpack what you were thinking <laughs> when you did that. Because yeah. that's, that's an
2: interesting thing.
0: Well, I look, I did actually work um, for other companies for a yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't go straight from university to um, starting a business. But it's really interesting that you said the thing about, um, you know, go and start a, start a business tomorrow um, if you kind of piss off a millennial. Excuse the French. Yeah, But, <laughs> like... <laughs> but, like That kind of did happen a little bit with me. So I I, um, had worked in uh, communications for a bit. Um, I really didn't like the rigidity of, it wasn't so much my manager. My manager was fantastic. My my boss was like, just really like, you have to be here at 8.30 in the morning. Mm. I was like getting to work at like (laughs) 8.33.
1: So I didn't have a future when I was joined the bank.
0: Yeah. It's that kind of like, it's that kind of real rigid way of thinking. And then, um, and I was like but I'm working weekends because we have events. I'm like doing a great job Like I know I'm doing a great job. I like took over the work My the account director was doing as an account coordinator Because mm. I had to because she was unwell and had to, mm. to, to be off work for a while Too and terrible. I was keeping I was looking after their biggest client um, and I was sitting there going like you know I'm two months into the job and you're sitting there picking or three months into the job yeah, because I think it was a, just before my kind of probation period was up. And you picking on me for being like three minutes late. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people, a lot of younger people can really relate to. It's like we don't get why it matters if you're three minutes late. Like why would it matter, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, so, so I kind of, um, I, I left that job and I did freelancing for a bit. And then I got headhunted for a media position. Um, so I worked in media for nearly 2 years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then I I kind of took the leap at um, at 26 into my own business. Sorry that was a really long-winded story. But
1: um... <laughs> 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 I around about when I actually took the leap I think it was about 26 because apparently the average marriage age is 26 to 28, right? So ah. So it's like a trigger point. So each each 10 years in your life something Dramatically changes, and the previous ten years didn't really what you thought about didn't matter anymore. Mm. So there's kind of like 10, 10 year chunks, in it so what's happened is you've gone sort of mid through that thing and realised you didn't want to be where you were, and then you changed to something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because it it's sometimes like people have this seizure. Right? <laughs> there's a book called *Emeth*, which is the Entrepreneurial Seizure. Yeah. They're very good at what they do, but then very bad at business because they never had to run a business before. They got to learn quick. And that's really where people usually go wrong is they don't do the research. But the funny thing about millennials is, and I think it it comes back, my theory on this nine to five, um, excuse my French bullshit, (laughs) is that that was really designed around the um, industrial age where factories started at whatever, probably nine even, eight o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever, and they closed down at five o'clock because all the machines had to run at a certain time and all this thing had to run in order and everything had to be done. Yeah, and now the whole world's changed So nine to five is meaningless so like i had blocked my like i'm not very good until 10 o'clock in the morning like, i'm not a morning person sometimes i wake up early like that was interesting might to do it again but, but <laughs> the thing is, like he's looking to think oh no so i don't have appointments till 10 o'clock well, i block my appointments and i don't make an appointment after five o'clock yes yeah. nobody rings you up at five o'clock in the afternoon to give you money yeah in my okay. theory and so the end of that unless it's five o'clock somewhere else right so right. basically i've decided that that's what I know. i'm doing start work till 10 o'clock in the morning yeah that's going to work the best and i think that's the thing that people forget is that morning people go to work at start at nine o'clock they're probably not functional till ten thirty anyway
2: yeah <laughs>
1: right? so what was the point of being there on time it doesn't mean anything as you say like it's meaningless um it's not about the work you get done so i mean the world's changed but this whole nine to five thing is, hasn't really caught up yet
0: oh it's it's like it's there's so many things like that i think like so in some roles you're like yeah i need to be there because the customers come through the door at this time you know mm. so like i worked as a medical receptionist i was always there half an hour before we opened because mm. that made sense to me i was like well we've got to clean everything and get it ready yeah
2: yeah
0: to, to open but like with so many of the roles that we now have mm and that we will have, you know, in a few years that we can't even really predict what they'll be. Mm.
2: It's
0: like a lot of this is, you know, you can be remote, you can be working at 10 o'clock at night. You know, like for me, my the time that I find really hard to work is actually around now. So it's like the that kind of
2: afternoon. 1.30,
0: 2 o'clock yeah. to around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not a good time for me. So I'm like, I just go to the gym because yeah. I'm like, then my brain's kind of... You know, getting what it needs, you get blood pumping, you get energy, you know, if you're feeling stuck in a rut. like there's so much size. But I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to do it after work at five o'clock because that's when I start getting my like momentum back and I could probably work for a couple more hours, you know. So why is why is it bad that that's how I work? <laughs>
1: you know? I mean, I, 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 just, I always used to work at night time. Like, I would, what would happen is I'd sit in front, i sit down at five like five o'clock in the afternoon okay i'll just do half an hour's work and then i'll stop yeah you look up and it's eight o'clock and you think okay i've got to stop that now <laughs> so basically what i've done is i've booked myself to play squash five times a week yeah so four nights a week i play squash i have to finish work by five thirty at the latest i yep. have to finish to get there on time yeah and so i thought and i don't work after i come back so i don't come back in the office yeah nothing you've got to look at that lifestyle thing and make sure you're not, you know, working too. Like I think working longer doesn't mean anything, you know, you'll end up working work less anyway, because I think you're unproductive and really, I think they said an average, average employees, 90, 90, hours, 90 minutes a day productive. Mm.
2: So yes. What are they
1: doing for the rest of it? Eating, chatting, s- sleeping, God knows what, but they're not actually working. They're not productive. Yeah. And so if you can find your little couple of hours, like in the afternoons, I'll be like that in the afternoons. I'll do little stupid things, like simple stuff. I won't do anything creative. I won't do anything that's that's going to be messy. I'll, I'll kind of do little little jobs.
2: Yeah. Because I know that
1: I'm not very that creative. I'll create a first thing in the morning maybe. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, it's lifestyle, figuring out what you do. Um, yeah. And when you do it, rather than forcing yourself to be that nine-to-fiver. Um, and the other thing is I don't work, on, work for clients on weekends
2: mm. anymore
1: because yeah. <laughs> um, it's a thin edge of the wedge yeah because once you do that you're in trouble because then what what out And you've got eight days in a week <laughs>
0: yeah. it's actually i think one of the things that's tricky though that i'm finding anyway is and i know you have international clients as well mm. it's like when it's the oh it's friday afternoon in america yep. and it's Saturday morning mm. um I mean, you know, Friday afternoon isn't probably the best time to be doing business, but it's right. just sometimes, or it can also be like, oh, okay, I'd love to get this done on Monday, and you have to wait till Tuesday to have a yes. chat. It
1: so- me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Mind you, it lets you get ahead of the curve before they do sometimes. <laughs> so I've had to be able to catch up and get some work done they were expecting to see on Monday, right? Second <laughs> it's actually Tuesday. So sometimes it's handy, but yeah. Um, you know what I do, though? I, I worked out that there's a window of opportunity in the US first thing in the morning. And sometimes in the afternoon, depending where you are, and I actually, I have people book me, and they will book me at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. On their time, if they really want to talk to me, they will. Yeah. Um, and so I figure, well, I'll just. So I used to do that. I used to have ten o'clock at night. I'd go and I'd sit down, have you know, come back from squash or something, sitting ten o'clock at night, and I think oh, I forgot I had an appointment. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so many times I'd rush in like to get this appointment, and think oh, I don't really want to do this. I'm tired. In the end, I stopped doing it. And yeah, now it's like I think seven o'clock at night their time is okay.
0: Mm.
1: You know, after that then it's getting to be a problem. But I think it's okay for once I call if they're keen to talk. Yeah, but I'm not doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's kind of like I think the thing is is when you have a business that is working the way you want it to work. And I was speaking about this on another show actually. I was saying like. Um, you want to attract the clients that, I think we've talked about this before as well, right? Like you want to attract the clients who have the same values as you. So if people kind of um, are put off by having some boundaries, you know, then they're probably not the clients that you really want to have anyway. No, exactly. It, it, right at the beginning, like you said, like if you start working on Saturdays for people and you start working on Sundays, and that's the expectation ongoing. Yeah, it never
1: ends. Um, yeah, it's it, suddenly they're ringing you and emailing you. Like it happened when I was doing accounting software, so we had four or five hundred accounting clients.
2: Doing yeah. Accounting
1: software. And guess what? We had a thing that read, we had this rules. We had the rules of the game used to give. And one of them says, at ten o'clock at night, your emergency is nothing to do with us.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. So if you've left your books to lend to do them. Don't expect the world to be awake to look after you at 10 o'clock at night. And so it's kind of like you've got to, you know, manage the expectations there. So we always do, you know, do that. And so at the end of the day, it's a case of trying to figure out what the client is best. Like I've got a client test. If they can't fill out the appointments form and book an appointment with me, um, and I've got one and they avoid it, like some do it, they avoid and avoid and avoid, I think I can't get them to do anything. Like I can't fill that form. I'm doomed. They'll never do anything. And that indicates to me what sort of personality they are mm. right yeah. and if they keep and i've got the one client at the moment keeps email me and go what's well, thursday okay for you here's my accountant booking calendar
0: yeah
1: um because i don't know what my booking is calendar is like because i don't manage it it does yeah. manages itself yeah. <laughs> right and so i could tell you well, it's i'm free on thursday at three o'clock and five minutes later it's booked
2: yeah
1: and so you know it's, yeah it's about setting those expectations so let's dig into these three um, things to become a market leader. So the three steps you must take to become a market leader. I want to dig into that before we forget.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, yes, and I do have a downloadable on my website for this as well, which goes into, I guess it's more of like a summary um, of it, but I'll talk you through each one. Okay. So the, the first thing is, and this sounds pretty controversial, but it's like, stop talking about your company. So what I find a lot of um, businesses do is like you get on their website or you get on their LinkedIn profile or you get on whatever social media channels they're using and they're going like, we're like this and we've been around for this long and we do this and um, we're great for this reason. And they answer all these questions that I as a customer don't have. I'm like, I "I don't have that question. My question is like, can you solve my problem? You know, can, can you solve my problem and can you show me how you solve my problem without me having to work very hard? Mm. So, you know, from neuroscience and from cognitive psychology, you know, we know that like, I mean, and this is pretty basic stuff, really. Like the brain is complicated, but there's some really simple things about the brain. And one is, is our brain doesn't really like to work very hard.
2: That's very <laughs> it's very lazy. It's very lazy. You lazy. <laughs> That's brilliant. why things don't work.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant, but it's lazy. So if you make yeah. it too hard for someone to identify what, what is going on, who you are, then it's like you, people just switch off. And mm. the, other, the other thing with it is it's like it's not really salient. So you're, out, not you, but like one's mm. brand doesn't in of itself have all this meaning. It's mm-hmm. that the, the brand is associated with a problem that a customer really wants solved. So mm. we need well, to start- the reason why you started the company, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully, hopefully, like you started your company to solve problems. So talk about those burning questions that your client has. Answer those questions first, mm. um, rather than trying to you know establish all this credibility by telling telling a story that your customers don't care about
2: yep
1: yeah and and the reality is it should be a given so so what like if you go on an accountant's website and they've got accounting qualification cpa and stuff then theoretically there should have been that 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 stuff you'll figure out along the way yep. <laughs> um and and so the thing is if you're 30 years in business doesn't mean that you've got 30 years of experience either you could have been yeah. doing the same thing every year for 30 years Exactly. So yeah, I mean it's it's a I always I call it the so what test. <laughs> mm. So if, if you can say so what after that, then it's not really relevant.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, and you I think you also actually find that usually the people who are really um, trying to upfront answer all of those questions like like a resume,
2: mm.
0: um, that's indicative of a young business or an inexperienced entrepreneur mm. because it and almost like an insecurity because it's like why are you why are you answering all of these questions like (laughs) Mm. exactly but it's an easy mistake to make and like i think a really practical thing to do um to to actually think about the questions that your customers have if you're not sure about is like go on like quora or just do a keyword search like look at what what are people searching you know if you type in um a you know a question or you type in a search term and there's only 10 people a month looking at it mm. it might not be the right question to answer i mean you know it depends on a bunch of things but go for look at the big look you
1: at don't the look at something that's very rare and they go oh kind of unique thing and so you know it was interested <laughs> in your unique thing anyway so yeah
0: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, um mm. so the second thing is to, and we're kind of already getting to this. But the second thing is to understand your customer. So um, just making sure that you actually know what their mindset is, what their situation is. And the way I kind of um, sort of build this out, I guess, is looking at, okay, so with their, with their situation, like what's, what's driving them? You know, we know there's things that all humans are driven by. So there's, there's five basically, right? There's like we're driven to um, acquire you know, we're driven to uh, protect ourselves. We're driven to learn. That's a massive one. We're driven to belong mm-hmm. and we're driven to feel and feel positive emotions, not negative ones, right? Yeah. But that last one about feeling is the one that matters the most. Mm. So, you know, everyone wants to move from pain towards pleasure. That's like a human universe.
2: Yep. So if you,
0: this is why we talk about pain points in marketing, right? If you can mm-hmm. talk about okay, here's this, this is the painful situation that my customer's in. Here's where they ideally would like to be. Here's the pleasurable state they'd like to be in. If you're the middle point that gets them over here, then that's, that's really all you need to be talking about. You don't need to talk. A lot of people spend a lot of time on this part in the middle saying, oh, this is how all of this works. And almost like that engineering kind of mode, I think, of like this is how we solve this problem for you. But at the beginning, a lot of people are just like, I just want to know, like, can you get me out of this point to this point? So the example I use all the time is like in finance, right? Like, you see, financial experts will say, like, oh, we can give you this product, which means twenty percent off this and this interest rate and blah. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. You're making my brain work hard. Can you help me with my cash flow problem right now? Or can you, uh, you know, if it was a home buyer, they might be like, well, can I get a loan? Like, if I've got this amount of money can you help me with a loan somehow? Can you make that happen so I can have a house, which is what I want? Mm. Not can I get this interest rate on this, 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 over this period of time? Because it's like that's too much for our brains to deal with, you know.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And the bank's kind of theory is that, you know, they'll keep overwhelming with numbers to put it down to a price or a number. The reality is that people don't do business with banks um, any other reason, but obviously at an emotional level, like do they? Do the banks solve their problem?
0: yeah what can money get me? You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what people care about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the final thing, and this is like, I, I put this down, it sounds really obvious, but I wrote this down because, and I guess I put this as a third step because I find a lot of businesses get to a point where they kind of stagnate because they're just focusing on growth through referral and word of mouth and loyalty but the most important thing that you need to do if you want to become a market leader. So this isn't for someone who's just like, I'm happy making my 800 K a year, or I'm happy making my one meal a year. That's great. If you're happy at that point, you can probably rely on that to, to sustain that income. If you want to become a market leader, you always need to be focusing on getting more customers. You Mm -hmm. always need to be focusing on growing your market share. But a lot of, Businesses and a lot of marketers do this as well. They'll just focus on how do we get people coming back? Mm. And like, if you provide a good product, you provide a good service, people will come back. Mm. But if someone decides to leave, leave, it's very hard to convince them to stay. You know, if you're angry, you're upset with a bank. You're angry. I don't know why we're picking on banks. but
1: <laughs> There is easy mark, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of the things I learned working for a bank the 12 years is how to handle customer complaints. Yeah. That was a big one. They taught you extensively. There's almost a big manual on that stuff.
0: <laughs> right. The reality is as well, right? Like, so with that, unless someone, like, if, if there's someone's like, oh, okay, this is annoying. You need to fix this or I need more help from my bank or whatever. And they call. Mm. To me, if they're willing to call or they're willing to complain, they, they still care because yeah. they want to resolve it. If, if someone's so angry or frustrated that they're willing to put the time and money into changing banks or to, to switching providers or switching suppliers or whatever it is, it's that's going to be... And they're not complaining. They're the people that go silent and just leave. Yeah. You're not going to suddenly turn them into loyal customers. Like, no. you want to make sure that they don't get to that point.
2: <laughs> it
1: was interesting. When I took over an accounting software company in, in, um, in Sydney long few years ago now... One of the things I actually picked up was a customer complaints folder when I first joined, right? Cause they had a lot of complaints cause I knew that cause I was a reseller of theirs before I started, right? And this thing was literally that high, right? It was massive. And I knew a guy that had the gift of the gab. So I actually got him to ring them. So his job for the next two years was ring people and talk to them about their problems and work out why they were complaining. And we made a million dollars out of it mm. because what happened was most of those people solved their problem was, Oh, you need to upgrade your version or you need to pay for support to get this working. So most of the time, it's like theory, oh, the customer's always right. Well, I don't think always, the customer's always wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because they've got to look at the situation was they don't really know, right? They they just look at something and go, Oh, yeah, that's the reason. So yeah, but you need to do this to fix the problem. So most of the time it involved money. And then we'd sign up for recurring plans. And so actually we the recurring income base. So this guy just spent two years doing that. Yeah. And we took we grew our client base by the fact that all these people were actually then happy customers, and they knew they could talk to someone without had a problem.
2: Because yeah. accounting
1: software or accounting or, you know, financial brings out the worst in people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because if you're talking about their money and you're going to take their money, people get very, like, all those things on the five list, they all come to play, right? <laughs> and, and people get really nasty, right, if they if talk about money. And so if they can feel that they can talk to someone about that, then it's going to be a whole lot better because they don't feel like you're trying to steal from them which is yeah. what they usually try and think you're doing. So I think that's the trick is to make sure that that custom. that's one of the things I see in my business is they don't focus on the custom complaints and that's where the gold is.
2: Yeah. Because yeah. they'll either, they'll not
1: come with, they not even stay, but I'll tell you what, they'll tell you the truth.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. They'll tell you what that staff member, you know, how bad that staff member is or, or what they wrong, you're wrong to them. They're happy to tell you that an existing customer won't tell you anything. They don't want to upset the apple cart. Right. Yeah. They might be in a good wicket. They don't want to tell you.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: And I think that, that's the gold in that, you know, asking people what they think that are leaving. Um, but people are reluctant to do it. People avoid it. People avoid customers' complaints. Mm.
0: It's, a, it's a really, it's such a good point, actually, because, I mean, this comes back to the gathering and interpreting data. Like, mm. if you don't, that is really valuable information. It's valuable information for product development, for how you, you know, are there silos in your business? What's the customer's perception of what's actually going on? Mm. And so I, I want to be clear of this. Like, I'm not saying when I say like get more customers, I'm not saying that like um, making sure that your business is delivering what you're promising. I'm like that's that like that's what you need for a viable business. And I think a lot of yeah, but, and I think a lot of businesses have problems with that. But what I'm also seeing is there's a lot of marketers who will say. We need a customer loyalty program mm-hmm. and it's surface level stuff instead of doing that like deeper work. And it's like, so, okay, if you're looking at surface level brand growth as a marketer, focus over on the get, getting more customers. If you're looking at how do we transform our business to better serve our customers and deliver value, then that's exactly when you need to be digging into that data. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends. They're different problems. But mm-hmm. what I'm finding a lot of times people go, oh, if we solve the the customer retention problem will mm. grow massively. I'm like, you won't grow massively. You'll mm. you'll sustain the amount of customers you have. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we had the same problem, right? Because when, when we had like 5,000 customers and we were losing 20% of them a year
2: Yeah.
1: and we had we were growing by 10%, you can see the math was bad.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
1: no one had to retain those customers. But number two, we had to grow more because you lose more. People don't even know how many customers they lose anyway, uh, most of the time. They know they're not a customer anymore until they don't see any money come through. Yeah. So you've got to be always replacing at least double the amount you're losing. And mm-hmm. if you don't know how many you're losing, then you're in real trouble. <laughs> yep. That can just leak out the bottom of your business. Suddenly you think, why has my turnover gone down now? Oh, it's yeah. because 1,000 customers left me that I didn't even yep. know about. So yeah. Well,
0: and it's also, I think, like do, doing the maths on that because, like, the um, it might be also that benchmark for. IT solutions mm. that you have a 10% customer loss rate every year, right? That might be a benchmark
1: might be normal
0: like, mm. or more, right? Like, so let's, let's say like, let's say 10% is high performing. Let's say like t- losing 10% of customers is high performing. You're actually doing really well. Mm. But what a lot of people will do then is go, well, how do we reduce that 10%? And it's like, well, actually you're doing really well there. So mm. maybe if you're not getting enough customers to deal with that 10% loss, that's your problem.
2: Mm. And
0: the other thing is is it's like the way you do the maths with the 10% because it's like is it? it's 10% of your customer base, right? So it's like if you've got 100 customers, you lose 10% of them, you've lost 10 yes. customers, right? But if you um, – there's that study, what's it called? There was a study where they talked about this like, you know, if you could reduce 10% to 5%. So if you can in- reduce like from um, – uh, so instead of losing ninety, sorry, instead of being ninety, yep. you know, now you're at ninety five.
1: Yep, you kept five more.
0: You kept five more, but it's like you have to work really hard to keep that five more. Where if you're like, well, can we get ten new clients? And work less. That actually, <laughs> that actually might be it, it, it. So it's it's kind of like you using real numbers. It's like five. How much is five customers worth to you? Mm. If you've got to spend. You know, two hundred thousand dollars getting them to stay, and you might spend twenty thousand getting new ones. Mo- so it's it's working mm-hmm. out what it what it val- what value it is for you, I guess.
1: So here's a math thing for you, math problem <laughs> <laughs> that mostly blows people's brains out when they try and figure this out, right? So five uh, percent increase, five percent mm-hmm. decrease, and five percent decrease will give you sixty-seven percent increase in profit
0: five
1: percent so say it again five percent uh, increase by five yep. percent increase something by five percent and decrease something so five minus five minus five equals seven
0: mm.
2: right.
1: yeah,
0: that does make my bank brain feel a bit weird
1: yeah so the, so this is the good for for the mathematical people increase your sales by five percent so that could be simply just increase your price by 5%. Yep. most people won't even notice your price goes up i always yep. had this theory in account consulting business that people would wait one more day and pay ten percent more yeah right and it worked because they just keep increasing prices so five percent increase in price five percent decrease in overall cost of sales so what what you're physically costing you to do right so it could be a bit more efficiency no it's usually not that hard and five percent decrease in expenses so you know go out and you know get your credit card company reduce their merchant rate do something like that mathematical will be 67 percent increase in profit
0: yeah yeah actually i remembered the other one as well because this is this is another little brain teaser so Mm -hmm decreasing your customer, so customer retention, if you decrease it from 10% to 5%, you're decreasing it by 50% because you're halving the amount. So you've got 10 Mm. and it's 5. That's a 50% reduction Mm. in customer loss, which is actually really hard to do. Yes, yeah, it is. (laughs)
1: You've got big numbers too. I mean, if you only got a very small number of customers, then it's not so bad, but then the loss rate can be even more dramatic. But yeah, we have a large number of basic customers. We actually retain those customers. It's actually interesting. tell me you're talking about, um, you know, knowing what the customer wants. When they, like, best example I can give is Netflix. Right. Mm. Go to Netflix website and find out what Netflix does. But you don't say a word. Yeah. What does they give you a picture of what they give you? And I don't know what's changed recently, but I went there and go. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. They just give you a picture of the videos and stuff you're going to see, and a login and login screen and a register screen. That's it.
2: Yep. Because yep. exactly right. what you I want, just signed right? up.
1: <laughs> just sign up, right? But you're going there to sign up. If you're not going to Netflix to think about it, yep. you're going there to sign up.
0: And I think that's where, that's where things like your um, user journey become important. Because what I say to people, a lot of people say things like, I think this is becoming less and less prominent, but still a lot of people will say things like, oh, my website's the doorway to my business. It's oh. the entrance to my business. And I'm like, no, your entrance to your business is like, your social media channels. Cause that's the first place that a lot of people are seeing you. Or if you're a speaker, it might be at an event. It might be that the only touch point that the person had with you was that they saw you speak in an event. Mm. They remembered your name and then they went to your website and signed up, you know, like it's, it's so you've got to think about, well, what is my customer journey or what are the different customer journeys? Cause it might be that by the time they're searching for you, by the time they're at your website, they just want to click a button. <laughs>
1: yeah. They didn't want to go through that big long, you know, explanation. And yeah, I mean, make it hard. For, don't ever make it hard to do business with you. I guess that's the, that's the magic thing there. It's Like people forget that sometimes. I think, like, and I mean, yeah, I mean, also something I learned about was traffic, um, temperature. Mm. So the pre framing of when they land on that website. So I've got some of my funnels that run at sixty odd percent conversion. Yeah. And you go, you couldn't do that with cold traffic. And, you know, no one's cold anyway. But the reality is someone just leaning there would go, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. But you send warm traffic or pre-frame traffic to that page, then you're going to get a better conversion rate. And so looking at all that traffic coming in, thinking it's one big lump sum isn't really yeah. right. It's where it's coming from. Yeah. For what purpose that, that makes a big dramatic difference in what happens after that. So not all all clicks are created equal.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I saw, I mean, I see, um, you know, briefs come through to us that are like, oh, can you create a high converting landing page? And I'm like, well, we'll create like 10. (laughs) Like, why do we have to create one? Like, we'll just, we've got it. Well, I'm like, it depends obviously where you're at. Like, Mm. but if you haven't got a landing page yet, then you don't know what's going to convert. So we need to test it. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is especially with things like Facebook advertising and stuff, you can look at, this is how, you can retarget, this is how many people landed on this landing page versus this is how many people landed on this landing page and this is how many people are on a value video and I'm going to retarget them with a very specific ad because I know what part of the journey mm. they're in. Mm. But that work is like, you can't undervalue, that is such like precise, difficult work. Yes. And I see so many people say things like, we just need someone to do our Facebook ads. And I'm like, that's like a full-time job. That's actually yeah. a really <laughs> hard thing to do, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, do it well. You need someone full-time on it, just living and breathing every day.
0: Yeah, and looking at that data again, like yeah. I was going to say before with um, information, so PwC did like this, um, I think it was a 2018 like, white paper. And they were saying like, the biggest problem for CEOs and business owners at the moment is be- being able to interpret, like gather and interpret data in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's kind of like the analogy I use. So that is, I'm like, it's kind of like seeing a homeless person sleeping in a whole heap of like cash, like millions mm-hmm. of dollars worth of cash and then they're using it as a blanket like (laughs) you know like we're not using our information effectively and these are like top ceos Mm. from around the world who are like we don't know we don't have the infrastructure in place we don't have the right skills uh you know people with the right skills in place or the right roles created to actually use information effectively and that facebook example is like one so people will spend like you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on creative, and they don't think about the tech aspect. You know, they don't think about the setup. And yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean that to sound like that's oh, this is so stupid. I just mean to say it as in like we've we've got such a long way to go here, but there there are so many things that we can do with information now, and I think as a species, we haven't really even caught caught up with it yet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was actually interesting. I saw a presentation from a guy that we're actually probably doing some business with, and he talked about the concept that the problems of the world now we can't get out, get these, solve these problems intellectually. Yeah. That we have to solve these piece, people at more of a deeper, emotional level. And you look at things that when things change, and, and one of the nice things about social media or, or the internet is that things are allowed to change so much faster. Than before, like it would take you 20 years. Like, I don't know how long before the Berlin Wall went down, but basically, that would have been years and years of campaigning and stuff like that. Yep. Sometimes these things can happen overnight,
2: yeah.
1: And that's because that emotional level of, of consciousness changes it. Yep. And so, I think trying to be too intellectual about this and overcomplicating it, too, right? So, part of the problem is sometimes they'll actually have this really involved process and realize that they've overwhelmed themselves with stats they can't actually understand. Yeah. Whereas what they should have done is gone back to basics and say, okay, let's just focus on a couple of things and see how that goes and learn from as we go rather than trying to make it so complicated that actually it's, it's meaningless. Everything's actually you're into one. Yeah.
0: I think it's like sometimes I think some of this comes from like our, you know, like if you look at the academic landscape, it's it's like really prized to be, to, to intellectualise things. You know, it's really prized to... Um, have all these complicated graphs and all these complicated ways of talking about things. But, um, it's, it's much more impactful if you can say to someone like, well, the reason we we do all this behind the scenes, but what we know from Mm -hmm. it is that if we don't change the way we're behaving when it comes to say the great barrier reef, it will be gone by 2030. Like that's all you really need to know. Like, yeah, yeah. Really and, and <laughs> like it will be gone. Right. Whoops. <laughs> like, by the way, whoops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think like um, there there is so much more to be said about simplifying things. I mean, what's that Einstein quote? It's like if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough.
1: Yeah. Well enough. Yeah. And I mean, I, I once a wise man once told, said to me, if you write to someone, we try and explain something, explain it like they're ten year old. Yeah. And if you yeah. can get across that, then that's being, you know, lazy thinking, ultimately that lazy person gets it straight away. But if you try and make it too complicated, then people, you know, very few people understand it. And,
2: mm. and
1: so I think that's the thing is, you know, explain it simple. That's all you have to do. And, and yeah, if you don't know it well enough to, to, to explain it simply, then, yeah, <laughs> you don't know it well enough.
2: Yeah, sure. absolutely. That's
1: crazy. Um, so we're coming up to the hour, so I'm going to make sure we don't go with time because it always happens to me. Um, <laughs> So tell me, tell me what sort of client you um, you uh, basically like to take on and, and who you're looking for. Because I think that based off what we've talked about, kind of really relevant, because I actually ask this question a lot, but this is actually a relevant conversation. Is Who's your perfect customer? Who do you, who do you look for?
0: So for me, um, it's mainly businesses that are kind of, at that point, probably around that four to six-year mark, Mm-hmm. Where they're either moving into a space where they're starting to stagnate.
2: Yeah.
0: Or they've not been making profit for a while. So their their profitability is may, may being maintained, it stayed the same. And so where I really work well and where, you know, my team works well is in helping people get to that next level because you've already got some assets. You've already got some brand presence. There's some things to leverage, but usually what it is is there's just a few things we need to fine-tune and experiment with to get that scalability to the next level. Um, And I generally work with people in the service industry. So it'll be like healthcare professionals, Mm -hmm. um, financial experts, and professional service consultants um, because all of those um, three kind of areas do really come down to speaking to people about our higher needs. You know, like I want a relationship. I want to belong. I want to feel. um, And so for me, it's just that that's more the area that I'm passionate about. I think people working in that space are doing really incredible things, Mm. um, but not so much for like, I mean, I'm really against the the commodity stuff that doesn't need to exist. So I, (laughs) you know, like, I'm being so negative on this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) I I just, sometimes I'm like, these problems are there's so many big problems out there that need need to be Mm. solved. Mm. And I would rather spend my life and my time working with people who are doing their best to solve them. Mm. Um, And so much of the time I say, I work with people who are, way more talented than I actually I think I am like I'm just like oh if I was you i would be doing this isn't it (laughs) you know like they've got so much experience and um so knowledgeable but it's like so and that's where it's just about elevating their brand and going let's get you out there you know let's get you in front of people who can Mm. then see what you're doing Mm. and be really excited about how you're helping them so yeah that's that's who I like to work with just those people
1: (laughs) Them too, I think. (laughs) I I think you know what I find interesting, and is that even you look at someone who's highly successful, whatever, and you drill into it, and nine times out of ten, it's confidence that's that's knocking them around.
2: Yeah, they
1: don't have the confidence to do this. I mean, I had a client the other day. um, She's been in the personal development game for a long, long time, and I said, "Look, I think we should do a mastermind. Like, create a mastermind, charge good money for it." And she said to me. Uh, let's I think I might just start small like a small cheap one-day thing or you know, like I said, no No, you have the credentials and the pedigree to do this standing on your head
2: Yeah,
1: right. So you are deserve you deserve the money because you're gonna I've seen you in action You can do it. You can r- deliver an awesome result charge a decent fee for it
2: Yeah,
1: and and she Oh, okay and off she goes because all she had to do is hear that thing because the reality was she was undervaluing herself again and that's the problem because a lot of these people think that they don't really know much, right? <laughs> they could be really highly qualified and still don't either you know much, right? And, but they don't know what other people don't know. You know? <laughs> There's just so much stuff that they don't
0: a hundred percent and one of the things I say to clients because I I have the same thing I deal with quite a lot of clients who go like oh but I don't know if I'm really good enough to do a course yet or I don't know if I'm really like run a course yet or I don't know if I'm really good enough to write a book or run you know run a podcast or you know those kinds of things I'm like so you spent 10 years learning about your subject and I'm not saying you have to spend 10 years I'm just using that as an example yeah you spent 10 years learning about like dedicating your time to understanding how leadership works Mm. or how mental health works. And I'm like, and you're still constantly learning. You're at the cutting edge, right? Mm. But I'm like, most people don't even have 10 minutes to spend on that because they're too busy doing other things. So like your wealth of knowledge is so much deeper,
2: Mm.
0: you know, than what most other people out there other than experts I think what happens is a lot of people get into these networks where they're around their peers mm. and then they think about they how do up. I market?
1: <laughs> and they beat each the other up. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, they think, how do I market to my peers? Like how do I prove my worth to my peers? But I'm like, your peers aren't going to buy off you,
1: mm.
0: you know, so don't worry about what they think.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually I had a, had a meeting with one doctor clients the other day and I was listening and he put, he said, oh, i just got to take this phone call. So he takes this phone call in a phone conversation with obviously another doctor. He's a specialist, another doctor, and I, I got. Off, and he accidentally forgot to put the pause button. on, you know, thing on. I go. I heard that conversation. He says, "Yeah." He said, "But trust me, I didn't understand a single word you said, <laughs> and because it was completely gibberish, like it was all yeah. like it was obviously shortcuts to what they know about, but no idea what they were talking about. And if yeah. you went and told the patient that, then the, the patient would go." am i dying (laughs) like you know like you wouldn't have a clue what it was all about right it might have been something real i just do this and this and that so whoa okay that sounds like big stuff there like yeah i think that's what and you know i work in this concept of decade decade in a day right so that amount of information they've learned over the last 10 years they could distill that into one day and be very successful and tell somebody what they need to know yeah um because that's all they need to know they can distill it so yeah it's um it's interesting yeah. people don't realise what they know, what they're good at because they don't value it because they, they just assume that no one, everyone else can do it. It's,
0: it's, it's really hard. Like I, I definitely have been someone who's thought like that as well. I'm like, you know, for me, like business strategy is very obvious. I'm like, you just need to do these things. Mm. And so um, I kind of, I have to stop myself from giving too much away for free because I'm like, to me, it's actually pretty straightforward what needs to happen. Mm. But I'm like, this is solving big – this can save someone $100,000, you know. Mm. But I don't think about it like that. I'm just like, oh, this is fun, (laughs) you know.
1: (laughs) You know something, though? I I think in my experience, you can tell them all these things, they'll do do anything to actually charge them enough to hurt them to actually do it. Yeah. You know, so I I get off the phone and think, oh, I gave them all these great ideas. I bet you a year's time I ring them up they haven't done any of it because there was no incentive to do it. Like There was no financial commitment or – or any anything to buy into it. Um and that same thing with the book, like when I talk to people about books, oh, what well, should I put everything in a book? And I go, well, doesn't really matter because probably your best customer will never read your book anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: Right, because they've looked at your cover and they'll I mean, assume you're an expert, so they'll go and talk to you. So the reality is is that you know it doesn't matter what you put in the book, they're gonna do it themselves, great, one for One day someone will come and tell you, but chances are very few people implement.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah. true.
1: Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much.
2: That's um, all right.
1: I reckon we could do this for hours, but <laughs> <laughs> the hard computer. Um, so, how do the, how does people get in touch with you and have a continuing conversation with you
2: about what you do?
0: Yeah, so um, LinkedIn's really good. I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, so you can just look up my name, Lauren Cress, with a K. Um, yes. And I also have a website, so www.thechangemakers.org.au.
1: Okay, cool. And also a podcast which we we did an interview on as well so we can cross promote
0: yes so my podcast is the oyster with lauren Cress, and yes john will be a um a guest very soon or maybe you'll be a guest before this i don't know
1: yeah, the rice <laughs> <is> on, right? <laughs> <we're>
0: getting
1: immersed. <laughs> how quickly can we edit this thing
0: <laughs> <laughs> no thanks so much john it was, a Thank you. It was
1: thanks so much and talk to you again soon all right see
0: you bye you've just been listening to another great evolvepreneur podcast interview We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit evolvepreneur.biz today to find out more about our online community and how you can take part.